And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Wednesday, January 13, 2021. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris here with you on this episode. We talk about Liam Hendricks making a move to the White Sox bullpen. We'll talk about some 2020 late round breakouts that, of course, coming out of a shortened season are even more difficult to sort out as we look ahead to this 2021 fantasy season. Uh, We're also going to discuss the possibility of more teams employing six-man rotations in 2021. We'll also talk about strategy differences between different league sizes, and hopefully we'll have time to get to uh, some help for those who are new to the Dynasty League formats as well. Uh, You know, how's it going for you on this Wednesday? It's going pretty well. I have uh, two crazy ass dogs that just like today on the walk, they like just mauled another dog. Like, I mean, they're tiny. So it's mauled is a relative (laughs) term. This isn't like some pit bull stuff, but like they just, they were like running around circles around this other little dog and the other owner was was upset. And I, I had these treats. My idea is to like you know, pay attention to me instead of the other dog. I've got treats. And I'm, so I'm, I'm like trying to chase them around going, I got treats. I got treats. And they're like, yum, 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 yum. <laughs> like they're like small. So like if I yank them on the, on the thing a little bit, sometimes they'll be like fly through the air. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was just a melee of dog. And, and my children were like trying to help, but also just not being very helpful <laughs> because they're kids. <laughs> so, uh, it was disaster. Uh, but, uh, and my life is a disaster disaster so that's okay i guess it all <laughs> life is a disaster <laughs> yeah. it seems maybe a little extreme i guess i guess yeah i i i just had like one of those nights where the puppy woke me up you know in the middle of the night acid reflux woke me up and then there's these people that are trying to buy a house for me in georgia they they cold call me all the time this one was at 5 45 in the morning they see i still have a new york uh zip code on my phone so I guess they just assume that I'm awake and I wanted to kill everybody. And then I woke up and I was like, you know, I don't feel that bad. And then I was like, okay, that's, that's because I'm just used to feeling like this. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, happy oh. Wednesday. It's hump day. Yeah. Your baseline sounds like it is a Wednesday sort of baseline each and every day. Well, hopefully things turn around for you. I think I've been on the receiving end of the tiny dog melee, by the way. I mean, my dog, (laughs) Hazel's a 45-pound golden doodle, so she's a very medium-sized dog. She's very social. She handles little dogs and big dogs very well. And every once in a while, there are people in our neighborhood, they have a little dog that slips the collar, and it it runs up to Hazel thinking, I don't know what, it's a 10-pound dog usually. Like Hazel would destroy the dog if it t- became that. I never, I never want to see that happen. Right. And I actually, I get scared that Hazel will like bite back and hurt the smaller dogs. So I try to scoop Hazel up off the ground 
to get the little dog to go away, but then the little dog just goes at my ankles. So that's not a good strategy either. Um, so I don't, <laughs> I don't really know. So I, I've probably you know cursed the small dog owner on a few occasions when something like that has happened. It is. I think the people with small dogs are like, I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but you know, I have two of them. Um, we, they're like uh, basically chewinies. Um, and I just feel like you, you're like not as worried because you're like, mm-hmm. what are they going to do? Um, and then they're lap dogs a lot of times. So sometimes they're taken out of the social sphere by the people around them. You know, they just sort of sit on laps, you know, they're just not used to having, and then it's pandemic time for us in particular. So there haven't been that many people in our house for them to socialize with, not that many dogs. And, um, you know, it all, and then we have young kids in the house. So anytime you have like a training, like when you're supposed to train a, a dog, you're supposed to like, everyone's supposed to have the, know what's up, right? Like everybody around the dog is, but it takes a village. You know, yep, and does. everyone ha- everyone knows what the things, the commands are and when to give treats and all that stuff. <laughs> when you have like a six <laughs> and an eight year old and you're like, guys, d- guys, you're supposed to wait till they sit. Ga- <laughs> okay. Unintentional <laughs> agents of chaos when it comes exactly. to dog training. That's really what they what they turn out to be. But uh, you, you're trying to do the right thing. There yeah. are so many people I see walking dogs that are out of control. Big dogs, little dogs, doesn't matter what type. And they don't have a treat or anything to divert the dog's attention. And I look at them and I'm like, how do you think this is going to get better exactly? <laughs> yeah. Like, what what incentive are you providing to this dog? We're making to slight progress. Now, when the dogs see another dog and I have treats in my hands, like, I will ostentatiously put treats in my pocket when we go on the walk so they know I have it. And then when they see another dog, one t- sometimes the first look is to me. Yep, they'll check you first. Am I getting a reward? Am I getting a treat? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if I if I time it all perfectly, I can give him the treat while we're walking, continue walking, and walk past the other dog. So that's the good one. But yesterday, I don't know, it all fell apart, and I just looked like an idiot. (laughs) I guess you know, you know, it is actually there's an interesting tie-in to like my running and to training in general and to like velocity training. Something that people say about velocity training is if you're trying to train to add velocity or you're trying to train to run more or whatever, there's always going to be like a plateau and even like sort of a regression moment when your body is sort of like tired and, um, you know, trying to recover and you kind of step back a little bit. You do some as you feel runs, as people call it, or um, you, you kind of uh, step back on your velocity training a little bit. And then when you attack again, uh, your body is ready to go past that and break through that plateau. Um, so hopefully that's what's happening with the dog training yesterday was a, a little bit of a regression and then we're going to bust <laughs> out into uh, perfectly trained dogs uh, next week, right? Yeah, a, uh, th- that could happen. <laughs> it's not gotcha. impossible. It might not be the most likely outcome, but it's at least a possible <laughs> outcome if the breakthrough is just around the corner. Uh, let's get to our baseball topics for today. Liam Hendricks goes to the White Sox and... I think it makes me a little sad as somebody that wanted to see Aaron Bummer get a chance to close, but this is pretty clearly an upgrade. I mean, Hendricks was the guy that I had ranked second on my rankings for relievers for the upcoming season. I think you could argue that he has uh, a case for number one status ahead of Josh Hader. I think you could look at Devin Williams as possibly a threat to some of Hader's save opportunities. You could look at Hendricks core skills and say, you know, I'll give up a few strikeouts from Hader to get a better walk rate from Hendricks. Clearly, it's a good team situation, uh, improving really in all facets. This is a pretty good deep bullpen as a whole. Uh, I think the the red flag for me with Liam Hendricks is a relatively small one. 80-plus innings pitch seasons are pretty rare for relievers. There were 55 of them that have taken place since 2011. 
really only nine seasons where that can happen instead of 10 since no one out of the bullpen was getting 80 innings in 2020. Uh, but I look at Hendricks and I, I say, is he going to fall off because of usage or should we be concerned about a possible sharp decline because of that high volume that we saw in 2019, which was the best season from a reliever based on F war of the entire decade? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I just, I had that up. You stole my tidbit, but uh, interestingly, the athletics have two of the, uh, the highest war seasons in the last 10 years um, with Blake Trinan's 2018. So they're, they seem to be uh, a little bit like the Indians where the Indians, we were talking about this with the injury risk and the rotation, use them while you got them, smoke them while you got them, uh, and then, <laughs> and then uh, let them leave when, uh, when t- the time is right. I'm trying to look for some uh, research I did once. I can't necessarily find it, uh, but um, I did look at 80 innings and found that there was a significant thing about 80 innings for pitchers. Um, and it had something to do with um, just uh, breaking down afterwards, uh, injury afterwards. Um, and I was thinking about it in the context of like, you know, do we need to have a, more bridge pitchers? Do we need to have more 100 inning relievers uh, if we're going to, you know, only start starters for four and five innings? you know, and still have like one or two out pitchers. I mean, what happened in the, re- in the meantime was that we had this rule about three, you have to face three batters in a row. And when instead of having a bunch of 100 inning relievers, what we've had is uh, the death of the one out reliever, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and so innings pitched uh, or outs gotten by relievers by appearance has actually gone up in recent years. Uh, but... Uh, we still have these 80 inning pitchers and, you know, uh, even just sort of perusing, uh, if you just sort of use innings pitch by reliever as the, the top end, um, it's not really good news. I mean, you got Anthony Swarzak had 96 innings uh, with the Twins with no games started in 2013, and he was never right again. Uh, Jesse Chavez, I think, has been the most rubber armed out of anybody where he's had these 80 and 90 inning seasons. Um, but he's also had injury risks. I think Yuzmero Petit is, is the rubber arm, you know, so he, he's the guy that made it through. Jalen Beeks had a 92 inning, uh, season in relief. That might've been uh, a fair amount of, of, uh, bulk sort of faux starter work because it was the race, yeah. but Josh Colmenter, uh, 92 innings hurt, uh, Carlos Torres, 92 innings hurt, uh, Jim Johnson, 91 innings hurt. Dellen Batances, 90 innings, hurt. Uh, Brad Hand, 89 innings in 2016, and then the velo just started to to fall off. I He's actually managed to pitch well while still in, but I, I kind of feel like the innings, the velo uh, reaper is coming for him at some point. But you just look at this, and it, and it came from Jeff Samarja telling me that 80 innings was too much for a reliever, and there he is, uh, 19th on the list with the Cubs, had an 88-inning season. He said he couldn't do that two years in a row. So, I mean, yeah. I guess the good news is for, for Hendricks is that he ha- he hasn't done it two years in a row. <laughs> um, but even if you look at his player card in terms of Velo, uh, you know, there was a moment early in the 20 season where you thought, uh-oh, uh, we're going to be back to this sort of like 94, 95. Uh, he's been at his best since uh, he kind of ramped it up to 96, 97. Uh, but again, by the end of the season, he was sitting uh, 97, 98 in the last two months of the season. So um, I think he'll be fine. 
I think he'll be fine for 2021. I, I'm curious to see how much the White Sox use him, if the usage does kind of fall in line with what we saw back in 2019, or if they're a little more careful with them having signed him to a pretty long-term deal, right? I mean, they have to think about keeping him effective for as long as possible while also maximizing his value in their bid for a World Series title in 2021. That's a realistic goal for that team. You have evidence in both directions. One uh, evidence that they could use him normally like a like a sort of uh, uh, a top shelf closer, you know, three outs, not have to necessarily push him, is that the evidence is that the rest of the bullpen is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got if uh, I don't know how to say that guy's name. How do you say the, the guy's name that uh, sits 100 on the left side? <laughs> Garrett Crochet. Crochet. Nice. Better than the other one, which rhymes with Rocket. Um, <laughs> you were, you were going to go crotch it? <laughs> I mean, my instinct is to go crochet, but I'm so messed up in my head. You know, I I, I know French and, you know, learn German. So <laughs> I was going to go crochet, but I'm so messed up in my head that I often am like, no, you can't be right. That's wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, They've got crochet, uh, bummer, Hoyer. Um, I'm going to say Hoyer because... That's in your wheelhouse. It is Hoyer. That's German. That, that is right in your wheelhouse from <laughs> Even German. Even if I'm wrong, I'm right. <laughs> no, that's, that that's, the, that's the correct pronunciation. It's Cody Hoyer. I like Evan Marshall even. Um, I think even Jace Fry is good. Uh, Jimmy Cordero throws hard. So, I mean, that's a pretty good bullpen. So, the, the evidence in the other direction, though, is Tony La Russa. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'll have to see what modern Tony Teresa bullpen looks like. But he was like, you know, one of the first to uh, really push the bullpen hard. So I wonder, um, I wonder how he uses Hendricks and if he's going to do a lot of four and five out um, appearances. I think that you saw some sloughage and some sort of riskiness in the end of the season. I know his last appearance was um, was a good one in terms of. Uh, getting a lot of outs, but I think you saw some risk there with Hendricks near the end of uh, the season when he was just really being used hard. Yeah, they were not holding anything back with Liam Hendricks in the postseason, understandably so, right, with everything that was at stake, but um, that also may have been unique to the fact that they weren't bringing him back as a free agent, too. They may have been a little more comfortable <laughs> Pushing those what buttons, a dirty that way. little thing, man. That, that that's a little that came up in the Jake Odorizzi interview we did, right? Mm-hmm. He, he didn't quite, he didn't quite, you know, nail the hammer home or whatever. But there was this sort of idea that like they're going to use. Remember, he said it's they're going to use the best of you. Yep, that's how it goes. But yeah. I was thinking too. I mean, CC Sabathia pre free agency when he had his first deal with the Yankees, like. He was on board with the usage, at least publicly. He, he wanted the ball on short rest. He wanted to do everything he could to maximize value the other way, trying to show uh, all the teams that were interested in him, hey, look, I, I'll do this. I'll put myself out there. I want yeah. every last dollar. I want to earn it. Uh, so it, it, I guess it can cut both ways. In the case of Liam Hendricks, look, he's got a three-year, $54 million deal with uh, some varying flexibility on the back end that could – Make that a four-year deal. The AAV is at $18 million. So clearly the White Sox uh, wanted one more big piece in that pen. I didn't think they necessarily needed to do it uh, for all the reasons you mentioned. You talked about the depth that they've built, even losing Alex Colome. I didn't think they had to go out and spend on Hendricks. I think when we were talking about where we thought guys were going to go, the Blue Jays seemed like the best all-round fit for Hendricks. But yet again, they are on the outside looking in. Who's your top five relievers right now? Your fantasy top five fantasy closers. 
it's such a, a nightmare. It's it's hater one, even though I do think, as I mentioned before, Williams is a possible threat to take some save chances. They could mix and match if they wanted to. That might be true and, of any closer these days, other than maybe yeah. Chapman, which might be why I have Chapman first. Right now, it's it's Hater Hendricks, Chapman. I have Chapman third just because of job security. I think you've been willing to point out his skills flaws for years, and I, I'm not refuting them. I just think they who use Chapman him like a yeah Chapman. Yeah, I, I just think but they use him like a traditional closer. Like he's yeah, they use him like he seems like super safe. Injury wise, he hasn't been injured. I think I might have him first. I go Hater Hendricks, Chapman, Rysel Iglesias is fourth for me. I never thought Rysel Iglesias would get that high in those rankings. And even the fifth spot, you kind of shrug at. I've got Edwin Diaz right now, but Trevor May, who we spoke to on the pod a few weeks ago, he could Especially be the guy. Diaz has the bad command year. You know, Diaz just seems mm-hmm. to alternate good and bad command years. Um, yeah, I'm surprised at how ugly this looks, actually. Um, I think you can do a top five and feel good about it. I think I would go Chapman, Hayter, Hendricks. I think that three is uh, fairly unassailable. I like that three. Uh, when it comes to four and five, I might just do Presley. Diaz is the number one by Steamer. Um, so I think he's in my top five. Uh, Iglesias is good at six. Then I think there's uh, questions almost about everybody you want to put after that. Um, Nick Anderson, uh, you know, you have the whole postseason questions. Maybe Fairbanks already took that job, or maybe it's just going to be 10, 10, 10, 10 in saves there. Um, Taylor Rogers, I'd like, but uh, they also seem like a bullpen that could just find somebody if they needed to. And they, I think they would cycle through pretty fast because Taylor Rogers ascended to his job fairly fast. And they even had like Sergio Romo stealing. Uh, eight to ten saves from him while he was in there. So, mm-hmm. and then by projections, you've got names like Barnes, um, you know Barnes and and Pomerantz and Chris Martin. I was like, I don't even what. And so, so like I think uh, my reliever rankings will be tough, and I even identify a reliever strategy will be tough because I don't usually like to pay top top uh, price, but I may want one of those three in terms of hater chapman Hendricks in a mixed league um and then just take a long break and then try to get like two or three guys that i like a lot in the sort of mid to late maybe like sort of fairbanks jansen uh fairbanks diego castillo like maybe get a couple rays i don't know man uh maybe get a couple marlins because somebody's going to take that Marlins pen, right? And they might be okay. Right. So there, I mean, there's still a few interesting free agents that could jump up a lot as long as we get confirmation that they're not in a crowded bullpen situation. I think, you know, you've been concerned about Brad Hand's diminishing velocity for a little while. I still think he has the path to be a top 10 closer in the right situation. I've got him at nine right now, even without a team. Kirby Yates, if he's healthy. He's really interesting still based on the skills. I mean, we're talking about a guy that was a top three, top four, top five sort of closer in San Diego before he got hurt. I made a trade in my dynasty league um, with James Anderson. We traded a fifth round pick. And, and remember, this is 20 teams and we keep 28 players. So a fifth round pick is uh, what a top 700 type situation, mm-hmm. 650. We traded a, traded a fifth round pick for Trevor Rosenthal, who belongs on that list. Um, it's not bad. I think Trevor Rosenthal could close somewhere. I mean, our our closing list, our, our list of closers 
right now, um, we're not going to keep all these guys, but the list that we're looking at to keep from are Presley, um, Lucas Sims, Trevor Rosenthal, and Hector Neris. So I think we needed to make that trade. You know, <laughs> like you kind of mm-hmm. need at least two guys you think will close. And I think Rosenthal uh, belongs on your list that you're making of a guy that when he has a job should be sort of top 10, top 15. I know he has the bad command, but he has excellent velocity, excellent strikeout ability. And there are teams, I think, that, you know, these guys that we're mentioning would close on. I think as much as Drew Pomerantz is fun um, and part of a good bullpen, and they may not add to it, and he may just be fine as a closer, if they put Rosenthal back on, I think you you saw the proof was in the pudding that last year they went to Rosenthal. So... Um, and then there's uh, plenty of fine bullpens like uh, we're talking about the Braves, the Braves. Uh, the rumor was on Hendricks, the Braves and Astros were in hard on uh, were, were at least interested um, and the Blue Jays. So I think the Braves and Blue Jays, I, I think the Astros probably end up just being fine with Presley. But the Braves and Blue Jays represent decent bullpens that will give their team a lot of saves chances where there's no clear uh, closer right now that if they signed a guy could be the closer. So, like, if yeah. Rosenthal signs with the Braves or Blue Jays, he's the closer. If he signs with the Padres, maybe even. Um, if the Nationals find somebody, they could install them as closer. The Nats are one of those teams. I don't think they have their primary closer on the roster yet. Could I be. Just, I don't believe it. I mean, Hudson's been all right. Tanner Rainey is uh, the closer of the future with the big C and the big F, but he's been that for a while <laughs> at some point. Um, you realize that uh, you got uh, kind of a Dylan Batances on your hand or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, amazing, but bad command, bad health, and then all of a sudden he's used up. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I've been having some second thoughts about James Karinchak, um, because I had him at eighth among relievers on the first set of rankings. When the update comes up, probably beginning of next week, likely Tuesday would be the day, I think he's outside the top 10, in part because I think putting Karinchak in that eight spot is dismissing the possibility that Emmanuel Class A is the closer. I mean, I think there's less that separates those guys skills-wise. And, and Class A, because he missed the shortened season uh, due to the PED suspension, is just kind of off our radar a little more than he should be. And with Karinchak, look, the strikeouts, they've been there everywhere. It's a ridiculous strikeout rate. But you don't see a lot of guys carrying a 13% walk rate holding on to save opportunities in the long run. There's a few guys since 2019 that have got saves that do that. Matt Barnes is probably one of them that kind of stands out as maybe still being a closer. Craig Kimbrell, we've seen the problems he's gone through. It's home runs on top of that. With Karinchak, at least, he doesn't have the home run issue, so he can get away with it. 
but it's a really fine line for him to walk as a guy that, you know, command plus is not kind to him. 87 command plus number for James Karinchak as well. So I just think this year more than ever, skills with relievers don't matter quite as much to me as situations do. Like you're always looking at that and trying to balance that out. But I'm looking more for stable situations, especially in no trade situations. If you're playing in anything NFBC where you can't trade for more saves if you need them, you want to make sure you're getting into situations where even if it's a share, I think Taylor Rogers might share some opportunities with Duffy or somebody else there. He's probably getting two thirds or three quarters of those opportunities. He's probably that guy. That's where my confidence in someone like that comes from. And with Karinchak, I think it's easy to fall in love with that K percentage and overlook the very thin margins between him and the other options in that Cleveland bullpen. Yeah, they, they you know whatever we've been able to find on on changing on on bullpen uh, closing roles changing hands um you know they kind of often you'll just find that these guys split the split the the different metrics that matter. I mean there's not that much that matters and what might matter is velocity, strikeout rate and and number 1 is what you're talking about usage situation, right? Once the season gets going, you can get a better sense of usage. Before the season, you're kind of trying to figure out usage through manager's comments and you know a lot of times that's full of obfuscation and maybe right outright lies um you know you know this guy's got the role or this guy's got the role and then it turns out they don't but in terms of strikeout rate and velocity class a owns the velocity uh Karinchak for some reason owns the the uh strikeout rate but he's more volatile because of that walk rate and i think class a his deal is he might have like a 70 percent ground ball rate i think that steamers projected 50 percent ground ball rate is low i think there's something about that heavy 99 mile an hour uh it's like a cut it's not a sinker but there's something about how the fastball cuts the slider cuts it's 90 it's 99 we know that 99 mile an hour fastballs uh suppress home runs so i think steamers got the home run rate wrong and the ground ball rate wrong and so uh class a could definitely come out there and give up a half a homer per nine, walk half as many people as Karinchak, and maybe not strike out as many, but, you know, almost along the sort of column A lines of just sort of like, I'm going to suppress balls and play. No one's going to be really be able to do much with this, and um, I'm going to be the closer. So there's also somewhat, we haven't really found too much evidence, but I think the Rays are evidence of this, where teams will, um, will move the saves around. Um, with an eye for arbitration. And, um, you know, since Karinchak had the full season last year and somehow got through it with only one save, he can be cheap. What if you give him a whole season, another season without any saves? Then you keep him cheap. And maybe you use Class A for saves next year and then you trade him. Right? And then you still have Karinchak cheap. So... Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. I think there is some risk with Karinchak, but given the names that we were just batting around, I think he, it's hard to push him out of the top 15 or anything. The closer episode when we get to our positional preview <laughs> series is going to be going to be just lovely. Looking forward to that one. Uh, one more situation, though, I do want to get to on this episode because you mentioned this in passing. The A's actually have two of the heavy usage reliever seasons that you know were guys that they leaned on and then let go. Blake Trinan was the other one. He's going back to the Dodgers. And I wonder, based on how things 
ended last season with Kenley Jansen, if this is finally the year where we see a changing of the guard with their closer spot, whether that be something similar to the Rays where a few different guys are involved, you know, an actual committee, or if Jansen just ends up in a less prominent role and someone like Trinan emerges to be their primary option for the ninth inning. I have two names for you. One of them's weird. Austin Barnes. Do you remember when Yasmani Grandal could not catch for the Dodgers in the postseason and Austin Barnes started every game and we were like, whoa, this is untenable. You got to downgrade Yasmani Grandal. And then the season started and Yasmani Grandal was the catcher again, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other name is Kenley Jansen has already done this before. Like Kenley Jansen before. <laughs> Kenley Jansen convinced us that he lost it uh, the year that they lost to the Astros. I think it was the Astros World Series, yeah. Because remember, he was giving up bombs to the Red Sox even? Yeah, he gave up 22 home runs between 2018 and 2019 combined in those two regular seasons. And yet, when the season starts, they go back to Jansen. So, um, I have a feeling that Jansen's going to be the guy who does like, you know, three inning, um, uh, three inning, three out, lead by two or three. You know, here's your easy save opportunity. Um, and he'll lose some save opportunities when he get, they either put him into a tie game or they don't put him into a tie game. And they just tell him, oh, we're just playing the matchups tonight. Trinan has the super sinker. It's one run game. This guy can't hit sinkers. Uh, Kenley, you're the closer tomorrow night, you know. So I do think that Jansen's save total um, is a little bit at risk. and that they, But I don't think that I, – I kind of see him as like a – if he falls in drafts, like I kind of see him, like I I, I took him last year um, as one of the back end of the front end guys. You know what I mean? Like as a as like a fifth closer off the board kind of situation, and I was happy with him. You know, um, and you know he may not do another season where he got forty saves, uh, but I think could he do what he did in twenty nineteen again, where he had a three seven one ERA and thirty three saves? Yeah, it's not going to be amazing, but it's. It's value. It could be value. If he's outside the top 10 consistently among closers, which puts him probably in the 130 to 150 range ADP-wise, you could talk yourself into it. But I do think you want to lower your expectations. Your ceiling expectations for Kenley Jansen saves were probably in the 40s before, like at his peak. Yeah. And they're probably in the mid to high 30s even more recently. Now I think you're looking at Mid twenties as your expectation. Wow. Oh, yeah, as expectation. All right, and ceiling is thirty, thirty-five. If you were making a prop bet, where would you put the over/under number for total saves for Jansen in a full regular season? I'd probably put it around twenty-three and a half. Would be my number if I were the odds maker. Yeah, I might go to like twenty-eight and a half or something. But all right, yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. Uh, he got a little bit of that velo back, but because he's down now down to 92 miles an hour, steamer projection steamer projections do have uh, fastball velo in it. And it's kind of amazing because his strikeout rate has never been lower than 28%, and he's projected for 25% next year. But he's 33. The velo's down. You know, it's certainly possible. Yeah. It, I mean, it definitely is. I, I The would-you-rathers in this case would be, would you rather have Kenley Jansen or Taylor Rogers? They're right next to each other in ADP right now. And there's something in me that says Jansen, man. I just think he I think he's the oatmeal reliever at this point. There's something about him where he's just good enough. He's fine. He won't he won't be he won't end the season as a top three, four or five closer, but I I kind of think he's just the Dodgers guy. They're gonna find a way to 
I think they're going to find a way to rewrite history when he finishes and say he was the closer since the minute he was the closer and he never lost his job. And people will be like, what? And they'll be like, shh, he never lost his job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which, like, you know, it's, yeah, it's kind of true, mostly true on the, the BS meter, right? It's, right, it's, right. It's generally true, but not absolute. And it's not just that he went to driveline. I'm not, you know, that much in the tank of the driveline. But I like the fact that he went to driveline as a representation of his effort to do something different, you know? Right. Hey, it's not the I'm 32, I can do what I want approach going into last season. It's I got to do something to stay in the game he and threw continue. More, yeah. Threw more sinkers than yeah. he ever had last year. You know, there's still some opportunity for that slider to be better. So, uh, you know, I'd like Jansen. I, I, he might be on some teams this year. I, and I, and I totally see all the flaws. I think I just, I, I just have to make sure I don't overreach for him. <laughs> yeah. He's going to go right in that spot where if you haven't drafted a closer yet, you're going to talk yourself into reaching a little bit because you feel good yeah. about yeah. him. He's the, that's where uh, I'm Callahan auto trouble. guarantee on the box closer where you just, you feel, just a little warm and fuzzy inside because he seems safer. I than could he take a poop in a box. <laughs> See, I, 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 I said the, the poop word cut. there. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was just watching that over break. <laughs> we were watching it with the kids and we were like, uh, kids, can you go do something else? It's <laughs> <laughs> a couple spots. Yeah, a couple spots. You got to send the kids out of the room for, uh, for that one. Uh, a lot of great emails came in in the last couple of weeks. So we're kind of plucking away at those on a show-by-show basis. The first one for today comes from Peter. Uh, he writes, Hi, Rates and Barrels. I wanted to ask you about a few late-round pitchers who enjoyed mini breakouts in 2020. You were all over Spencer Turnbull, for example, and the results were mostly good. But did what he showed in 2020 make you think he can do it again or even build on it? The other pitchers I was thinking of are Justice Sheffield and Eliezer Hernandez. Eliezer in particular, I remember Eno being down on, and I see the below average velo in just two primary pitches, at least from my eye test. It looks like his fastball walks a tightrope, but he also pulled off a 27K minus BB and a 13% swinging strike rate. So he kind of splits down the middle of the pitching stats you guys tend to focus on. The slider is a different shape, but is he like a little riskier Patrick Corbin? So uh, we'll kind of go through these guys one at a time. Turnbull I think was always pretty interesting because of the depth of his arsenal. You know, I think that was yeah. one thing that you pointed out about him. And I think something else I stumbled into when we were looking at the third time through the order splits, Spencer Turnbull has pretty good third time through the order splits, which Related gives me some hope size of his arsenal. Right. So that gives me some hope that he could be one of the higher volume mid late round type starters, right? Like if we're talking about, a year in which teams might be using more six-man rotations or carefully monitoring workloads, going to their bullpens earlier. Oh, my God. There are going to be a few guys that surge up to take on larger roles because they're built for it. And Turnbull ticks a lot of those boxes. Let's put aside volume because we're going to, that's next on the rundown. I actually read the rundown for once. It's next on the so, – and I think it's, it's an excellent conversation. It's going to take us away from these actual pitchers, right? <laughs> uh, there's a lot to unpack with, uh, with that, and I think that's maybe one of the big ticket items on this podcast is just this discussion because it's, it's, there's a lot going on. There's some good st- pieces and some good thinking going on today. I just wanted to be specific about Turnbull in terms of why I like him. Um, you know, he has a 107 
uh, stuff number. Ethan Moore gave me his stuff recently. Um, it's basically in line with Zach Wheeler, uh, but also in line with Hunjin Ryu, who I think Turnbull uh, could become, you know, uh, a guy who has good command of a lot of different pitches. Hunjin Ryu has 114 command plus. Turnbull has 102. But, you know, they both have really wide arsenals, good stuff, and above average command at least. He's right there with Carlos Carrasco um, in terms of stuff, a little bit sl- slightly better command plus. Um, he's a little bit behind um, Shane Bieber and Pablo Lopez uh, in terms of just these metrics. Um, so I think he's in a really excellent spot, you know, in terms of this guy has above average stuff and this guy has above average command. I'm going to make him above average. Now, obviously, yes, you talk about strikeouts minus walks. They're not, they weren't that good last year. In fact, they were below average. I think average is around 12% strikeouts minus walks, and he was at 9%. So that part worries me a little bit. I did watch a lot of games where he's trying to live high in the zone with the four seam, and sometimes the command wasn't there, or sometimes he's going above the zone and hitters are not reaching at it. But um, I still go back to above average stuff, above average command, and now there's this little bit of this uh, opportunity where he has a new pitching coach, and he's been identified as a seam-shifted weight guy. And so he's one of these guys that throws a four-seam and a two-seam. The two-seam really benefits. They, they, they show the same um, observed axis on Hawkeye. So they, the, in terms of spin axis, his four-seam and his two-seam uh, come out spinning the same way. And yet there's a massive difference in movement on them because of the grip. Uh, and that's basically what seam-shifted wake is. So I wonder if there's uh, maybe some more ride to be found in his four seam. And again, I just go back to that big arsenal. There's opportunities there for, I think a pitching coach would love to work with someone like Spencer Turnbull because they'd be like, this guy's pretty good command, pretty good stuff. And he has so many pitches. One Tweaking one of those pitches might really unlock something. Um, so I, I, I'm not going to push him too hard, but he's definitely going to be in my top 75. Um, he might be in my top 60. Is that sort of where you got him? I got him at 89 right now. Okay, but... so I'm a little bit more excited. But I, I don't want to push him too hard because the projections are for a 460 ERA. Uh, he had the bad strikeout minus walk rate. Those things do matter. Um, he does not have amazing fastball velo, but at 94, it, it's above average. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to push him into my top 75. I believe in it. Yeah, I mean, we've said this before. When you're looking at rankings, the further down the list you go, like the the more flimsy the arguments become to keep one guy even 20 spots ahead of the other. If you said Turnbull over Matt Boyd makes sense to you for 2021, I don't think I'd fight you on that, even though I've got Boyd at 70 and Turnbull at 89. Yeah, I think I'd take Turnbull over Boyd. So Elisir Hernandez has basically average stuff and average command. Um, I just, I have to tell you, man, that, slider he throws is the weirdest pitch i've seen in baseball i put it on my list of weird pitches and i think it was actually the inspiration for the list of weird pitches uh the way the best way i can describe his slider and i don't even know what to cut it to call it but the best way i can describe eliezer hernandez slider is a cutter that goes 79 miles an hour it's a cutter that goes curve speed yeah hitters don't, don't know, see man. a lot of those I, <laughs> I i i i don't think there's another pitch like it and, and 
I don't I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, I think that the first time you see that, you're like, what the hell? Um like but eventually you're like, well, it doesn't move much and it doesn't go hard. So if I see something soft out of the hand, I just have to train myself to think that it's not going to drop. <laughs> it's like a it's a floater. It's weird though. He also has a change, or at least a, a pitch that gets recognized as a change, but the usage on that dropped. He went from 11.4% in 2019 down to 6% in the shortened season. And it has just as boring movement. In fact, it it might actually mirror his slide, his whatever that thing is, his breaking ball, because it has the exact same movement just in the other direction. Maybe, I mean, maybe he could use it. Uh, I mean, the stuff number still comes in above average. I'm looking at the game log, and he actually got, maybe he, was he a COVID guy? Because he didn't see a team twice last year. And I just, that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about what happens the second time he sees a team. Because I feel like the first time they'll be like, what was that? And the second time they'll be like, yo, I'm ready to hit that. Season ended with a lat injury. That was in September. I'm going to really struggle with this ranking, man. I'm going to, he's behind Turnbull for me. And he'll be in the top 100. Uh, He'll be maybe in the top 90. But I don't think I'm as excited to put him in my top 75. I had him ahead of Turnbull in my initial rankings because the K rate was great last year, but we're mm-hmm. still we're talking about twenty five and two thirds innings. It's really that's not just, much. That's not much at all to base anything off of. So they're obviously same tier, same part of the conversation for sure. Um, but yeah, did not miss time with COVID, which given the Marlins outbreak is uh, surprising when a player wasn't directly impacted by that. It was just that lat injury that knocked him out at the end of the year. When he had uh, starts, two two consecutive starts, or not consecutive, but two starts against the same team in the same season um, in 2019, you know, the second try was not, not as good. Um, the Dodgers torched him for six runs in six innings uh, the second time they saw him. Um, Atlanta... Um, Chased him out after four innings. Only one run, but the strikeout minus walk rate wasn't the same. The Nationals got four runs off of six innings the second time they saw him. I think uh, I think he's best suited to some sort of Yusmero Petitish uh, usage out of the pen where his weird stuff um, you know, gets him through the order once and he can maybe pitch a couple innings because he's uh, built up as a starter. I think that's where he's headed. Yeah, it's not a bad long-term outcome for someone like that but it would be disappointing if you draft him as a starter in 2021 and he loses the job and damages your ratio i will say this on his way to the pen i don't see a lot of people uh itching to take his job unless they sign somebody uh the back the sort of starters that could take his job but aren't in the rotation right now are jordan yamamoto who just has awful stuff in command numbers let me see if i even have any uh, 85 stuff, 82 command. I mean, he that reminds me of like Lucchese, man. That's, those are some of the worst numbers I've seen. Um, then there's uh, Rasta Twyler, who's, you know, just um, a dude. And uh, then you've got uh, Braxton Garrett, uh, who made the roster and didn't pitch in the postseason. Pitched 7.2 innings last year, coming back from Tommy John. You'd have to you'd have to hear something. You'd have to see something. Like they'd have to be Braxton Garrett would have to be having a great spring, I think, to to push uh, Hernandez out of the rotation. So 
for what's worth, I think Hernandez um, has the stuff. And uh, this might be somewhat of a segue into the next thing. I don't see the Marlins as having the personnel to do a six-man rotation or limit these innings uh, significantly. Right. You have to have depth to pull that off. I actually think the the biggest threat to a bad starter in Miami, if we're going to call Eliezer Hernandez that or anybody else that they bring in to take a spot in the back, I think it's Edward Cabrera. Yes, uh, there it is. He had some right that's shoulder discomfort. not on this thing I'm looking at. Jeez, yeah. yeah he I mean, like him. touches triple digits, like electric stuff. Uh, he's he's possibly their best starter. Like There's a chance that he comes up and does things that exceed even what Sixto Sanchez could do. Like that's to me, that's within the range of possibilities for Cabrera. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but should we, was there another name on that list? Yes. One more justice Sheffield. Oh yeah. Um, Sheffield, the one risk I think with Sheffield is just, uh, a possible, um, sort of bad fastball situation, I guess. It's not an amazing fastball. He, he went to the sinker and, and had a lot of success with it. Um, but there, you know, the list of sinker forward starters that are very successful right now is very short. Mm-hmm. And well, his best skill too looks like it might be avoiding barrels, which eh, you know it's a good nervous. skill. But <laughs> I like that as a secondary trait, not necessarily the thing that gives me confidence. I, I've got him outside my top one hundred among starters. I think he does have a job. Um, I think there's reason to believe he could get a little better. Because it's not just you know, two pitches. He's actually got three that he throws, even if the fastball's not good. I, I don't want to say he's without any sort of glimmer of hope, but um, if you're not in my top 100, you know, there's a decent chance that you're only on my team in like an AL only league. Yeah, yeah. I uh, He's the kind of guy I like a lot better in AL only. Um I will say that uh, he's got a 106 uh, stuff number. I will also say that in previous iterations of stuff numbers, um, sinker guys have been slightly overvalued. Um, he has a just below league average command last year. Uh, so those are those are good. Those will probably keep him in the top 100 for me. Um, if you look at his Brooks page, you'll notice that um, his changeup and slider, neither of them got league average whiffs last year 14 percent on the slider seven percent on the changeup. um so he's lacking in the wicks whiffs category uh, which is obvious from his strikeout rate um but you know the ground ball rate's really high and if he keeps the home run rate low because the sinker is actually legit uh that'll be the way he turns a four five four four five projection into like a four oh five <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's where I see him. I see him as sort of a three nine four oh five. Uh you're lucky if you get a strikeout per inning from him. Um back end deep league starter. Uh top one hundred but not top seventy five. I feel like you're describing Brad Keller. Like if if you get excited about Brad Keller in your league, maybe Justice Sheffield going a bit later is the kind of guy that can Brad give Keller, you by like the way, that. is actually the seam shifted weight guy. Um, there are, uh, you know, there's a list, it's a really interesting list, um, that Glenn Healy, uh, who's a electrical engineering computer science guy, uh, who does a lot of work, um, with Alan Nathan, with MLB and with baseball prospectus. Um, he did a piece where he basically took Magnus force out, which is, uh, the force on the ball that, uh, 
sort of pushes upwards. You know, the it's the lift force. Um, and then he took uh, drag out. Um, and he basically said, seam shifted wake is what's missing. So I took the drag force out and I took the gravity force out and seam shifted wake is the effect of the seams. And the number uh, 13, Brad Keller's number 13. However, according to Barton Smith, um, Brad Keller is unique because uh, all three of his pitches are benefit from seam shifted wake in different ways. Um, and so, uh, that might be why he's managed to be really decent despite just utterly horrid strikeout minus walk rates. I mean, for, for a career, he's at 7%. League average is 12. He should be worse than he is. Um, so I think, you know, I don't want to say though, it's not like everybody who has season shift awake is good. Let me give you the list. Come on. Here it is. These are side force movement leaders um, on the sinker. Lance Lynn, Kyle Hendricks, Adrian Hauser, Lance McCullers, Jared Hughes, Dane Dunning, Gregory Soto, Zach Britton, Frankie Montas, Corbin Burns. Well, actually, these are all pretty good pitchers. Those are all, yeah, those guys are all more <laughs> good than bad, or at least the one thing they have in common is they've almost all exceeded expectations. They have, they to really have. General stuff. And look at this part of the list. Alec Mills, Justice Sheffield, Spencer, Spencer Turnbull, Brad Keller. Aaron Savali. Wow. Well, that was kind of fun. Um, <laughs> side force leaders on changeup. Pablo Lopez. I don't know who Phillips Valdez is. Kyle Gibson, Zach Gallen, Luis Castillo, Dylan Bundy, uh, Luke Weaver, Dallas Keuchel, Logan Webb, Carlos Carrasco. These are all good changeups. Side force movements leaders and curve. This is a bit weird. It's very short. Framber Valdez, Jose Barrios. They have good curves. Side force movement leaders and cutter. Lester, Wander Serrero. You say Kukuchi, Ryan Yarbrough, Trevor Bauer, Will Harris. That's eh, not bad. So, anyway, I would, I still don't want to say that it just means they're good. <laughs> but no, no, the leaders no. Are, are pretty interesting. I think it's particularly interesting with someone like Keller, who people have literally asked, what is it that you see in him? And this is when I draft him in a really deep league, and it's like really mostly just innings. Results that defy our expectations, maybe this helps satisfy an explanation as to how they're doing it, how they might be inducing a lot of weak contact, avoiding barrels, right? Like quantifying the magnitude of that skill or giving us a peek behind the curtain as to how exactly they're doing that. And maybe it means it's a little more sustainable for someone like Brad Keller. It's not just luck. There is something to what he's able to do uh, limiting damage. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to get to the six-man rotation question because there was a piece that Ben Clemens wrote over at Fangraphs today on some of the costs and benefits. And, and really, if teams are trying to cap individual workloads of starters, this is one way to do it. You can knock about 30 or so innings off of everybody's total. Obviously, you don't have to distribute innings evenly and how you have a bullpen built behind your starters can enable you to change the shape of each starter's workload anyway. Uh, but the key to making it work really is having a six starter who doesn't destroy your chances to win. Uh, and that's a legitimate concern for a lot of teams out there that might be even greater than their desire to be careful with workloads. You can still be careful with workloads without using that six starter. This isn't the only way to do it. It's just one way to do it. So my question for you is how many teams are going to actually employ a six-man rotation for more than a temporary stretch in 2021 based on how they're structured, how they run their organization? Like, Do you see this being something that more than a handful of teams actually do? Seattle kind of fits in as a team that will almost certainly do it for a while. And it kind of makes sense when you look at the number of arms they have. You run through their depth chart. Marco Gonzalez up top, Yusei Kikuchi, Justice Sheffield, who we talked about. Uh, Nick Marjavicious, just kind of a, a guy. Chris Flexen, who they brought back from the KBO. Justin Dunn, uh, LJ Newsom, and they've got prospects that are close. George Kirby, Logan Gilbert. It kind of makes sense for them. Like I can, I can get on board with Seattle doing it, but a lot of teams don't have depth quite like that, where it makes sense to me. Yeah, uh, there's a chart in in his piece, and Ben Clemens is. Um, I, I love his, his stuff. He does really good stuff over at Fangraph. Sometimes it gets a little bit mathy if if that's uh, too much for you. So we'll break it down for you. But if you do love that stuff, read Ben Clemens. Um, and uh, he, he thinks really interestingly, has interesting questions. He has a chart in here that says six starter cost by team. And it's the ERA gap between kind of the top five and the sixth or seventh starter. Um and I think this is an excellent chart because it shows you the depth. It basically just shows you depth in a very concrete manner. Um, the projected depth between the sort of the top five and what comes beyond that. And you'll see that the Mariners actually are near the bottom of this in terms of depth, uh, probably because of how you would project a lot of those young guys. You wouldn't project Gilbert and uh, Kirby to be good with without major league numbers. Uh, you wouldn't project... Uh, a guy coming back from the KBO necessarily to be great, you know. So there's there's certain there's maybe a quirk of the projection, but also given where they are in the win cycle, you can kind of say okay. And then on top of that, they said they're going to do it, right? So uh, the Mariners said they're going to do it. You can put them on a list like that. The Tigers said they're going to do it. You're going to put them on a list like that. Now you look at the teams that have uh, the least amount of six starter costs, so the best depth. The Royals, the Orioles. Okay, so I think the Royals will do it. You know, um, so you you think of that. So let's put the Royals on the list. It's possible the Orioles do it. Um, 
The next group is the Angel, Giants, and Rangers. I think at least one of those teams will do it. I think the Giants started out last year with six-man rotation. So uh, I think it's possible that the, the, the Giants or Rangers do it. Angels, I don't know, because they're trying to win. And then it gets real muddy when you get to the Angels, the Twins, the Athletics, the Phillies, the Braves. They have some depth, but they also want to win right now, right? So they may not want to cost themselves that. You know, they may not want to put their six starter out there unless they have to. And teams will have to use their six starter eventually anyway because of injury. So I think that for those teams, they'll just hold on to that six starter and use them when they have to. They don't want to have to start Kyle Wright every fifth day. They'll use Kyle Wright when they need to, you know, when Drew Smiley goes down or whatever. Um, so that's how I think they'll act. Um, and then there's the teams that have no depth that want to win this year, which are the uh, the White Sox, the Yankees, the Astros, the Nationals, and Padres. That's the, the bottom five teams in terms of depth. They're built to win now. They want all five of their guys to stay healthy. They don't want to use their sixth starter ever, and they'll use it when they have to. Um, so you can sort of look at that depth chart, think in your head, watch the news, and sort of say, okay, these are the teams that might do six-man. These might limit uh, these teams are going for it. They don't have any depth. And you can kind of put together maybe some sort of team factor of like what the innings will look like. But on top of that, you want to do uh, an injury factor. So you want to think of like, you know, in my piece, I said the Mets have the uh, highest injury factor, right? So um, you, 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 and then and each of these players have injury factors. Carlos Carrasco has a fairly high injury factor. Um, so you have to, and even somebody like, um, uh, Noah Syndergaard coming back from injury will have a very high injury factor. So um, you'll have these personal injury factors and you'll have this team factor uh, based on what they're going to do about innings. And this is the struggle because I was talking to Derek Rhodes about this um, on on um, uh, online. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was really struggling for that Where word. else would you talk to him? Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, uh, and he said... What he struggles with is he doesn't want to double uh, count. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't want to double bang somebody for innings. You know, this is what he said. Derek Rhodes said, I, I, I want to make sure I don't double penalize players, lower their IP pro- projections, and then subjectively lower them based on team situation. Um, and there's going to be a third factor. Where maybe you lower everyone's IP, right? So let's say you lower everyone's IP across the board because you just think that's what the baseball is going to do. And then you say, okay, well, I have to further lower the Mariners and Tigers and Royals because that's what they're going to do. And then, oh, this guy's a high injury risk on the Royals. I have to further lower him. Where's that guy going to end up with a 90 inning projection? And you binged him. You binged him three times for that. So it's very difficult. I think think what I'm going to do is I'm going to have... Uh, I, I developed with with Jeff Zimmerman like an injury factor uh, for pitchers where there's a percentile of injury risk, and that's going to be a yellow, green, red flag. I may force a yellow flag on teams that have admitted they're going to do six man rotations because that yeah. flag will be basically an innings risk flag. I wonder just comparing a six-man rotation to actually using tandem starters. If you have two guys you're particularly worried about, why not tandem start them instead of reducing the starts for everybody? You know, like I, I, is that a more effective way to keep everybody on a regular schedule 
but to also you know not expose yourself to this this penalty of having your sixth best starter, who in some cases actually is really bad or quite a bit worse than your other guys. That's that's the key to the table. The Royals fit this because, as Ben points out in the piece, Singer, Miner, Bubich, Keller, and Duffy project for a 470 ERA. So Junis projecting for a 487 is not that different <laughs> from the five guys they rely on. But for the Nationals, you know Austin Voth or Eric Fetty or whoever that sixth guy is, his projected ERA compared to Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin and the other guys that are, are good, that's a bigger gap, right? Just because the core starters there are a lot better than Kansas City's core starters. So I just wonder if the the better workaround is actually just to tandem start at the back end of the rotation and get through it that way. Because then you're still getting the innings you want from the better pitchers and maximizing the effectiveness of your lower quality guys instead of trying to work them like a regular starter or giving them an early hook and draining your bullpen you know, going into a new series or going into the the restart of, of your rotation. Yeah, I mean, right now, it, it's, it's like it, it gets really kind of unique to each team almost, right? Because the Padres are kind of a hybrid of the two different teams that you were talking about where, you know, they're a little bit more like the Nationals and they have a great team and but they'd have also more depth, right? I think the, the Padres are the perfect situation for tandem doing something there because Morhan's already been used in these sort of two to three inning stretches. Um, and you can either, you can go into spring and say, Gore is going to be the other two or three innings or Lucchese's improved something or Weathers is ready to go. And you've got these two guys and, and, and they kind of combine for a start. Um, it's, it's, you have to see what that does to your bullpen. It has something to do with how big the rosters are. That seems more tenable in a 26 uh, plus man roster type situation than it does in a 25 man roster. But, uh, you know, the Dodgers, I think, could do something similar with May and Gonsolin, right? Because now with Price, Uriz, Kershaw, and Burla, they, Burley, Bueller, they've got top four. Um, but with May and, and Gonsolin, you know, either install May and just let him go or, or do something where you hedge your bets with Gons- Gonsolin. But um, the Yankees might be able to do something on like that with Davey Garcia and Michael King. Um, and Clark Schmidt, where they just sort of combine for a roster spot or two. Um, and you, what you need to do is they need to be young. Uh, you need to be able to ro- you need to be able to promote and demote them, right? Where you demote them to basically soften their innings at some point. Um, yeah. And, and then you have to, so they have to have options. Um, and so you know, like, like does Tyler Molly still have options because? I think you just have to set him into the – yeah, I don't think he has options anymore. So I think you put Tyler Molly in that rotation, he has to be in that rotation. So, you know, who are you going to play around with? Lorenzen and TJ, TJ Antone and just like that's one spot? It's possible. Um, I don't know from a, a, a workload standpoint what the right answer is for all this either. And I think that's one of the things that people throw their hands up a little bit on health. The, the thing that you want to do is you want to build up um, – you want to build up with regular work so that your your day game work, like the the game day work, is is you're you're ready for it. You definitely don't want to like not pitch at all or not throw it all for five days and then throw uh, five or six or seven innings on game day. That's why they have bullpen sessions and throwing in between and all that stuff. So um, throwing is good, like you want to throw, but throwing in games is stressful. So you have to just balance that somehow. And, and also, then you have to think about this. A, a veterans, vet, more than anybody told me, like Jeff Samarja, other veterans have told me, I don't want to go out of my process. 
I've been an every five day starter. This is where I'm comfortable. I want to do it this way. And so if you're going to take a guy and then say, no, you have to do it this way. Um, I don't know if that's going to work with veterans. So it has to do with how many young guys you have at the back end of your rotation and how good they are. That's, that's going to be, uh, some sort of toggle. That's going to be hard to, to figure out. Yeah, I think for me, the tandem starter gives you flexibility, though, because you want to know when you're going to work. If you lose a start, if your team like San Diego, they're a great example. I think you said on the last episode, they have the most injury risk, or maybe they were second to like the Mets in terms of total injury risk in their starting rotation. If you lose a starter, you lose one of those top four guys, you lose Snell or Darvish or Lamette or Paddock, you want someone ready to go stretched out who's been facing big league hitters ideally to take that spot. Mm-hmm. If you're tandem starting in the fifth spot, guys are throwing 65, 70, 75 pitches, they can step right in and then start and continue to work on regular rest. You might have to bullpen it one time through based on when the injury happens and off days and everything, but you have guys already there who are more prepared than if they were pitching at AAA, facing crappy AAA hitters or being in a goofy high altitude sort of environment. And I think that flexibility is going to be huge because you you can shift roles around so much easier. If you need to go to six at some point, your five and six are closer to stretched out that way. You know, like there's so many different ways you can move things around if you build in a tandem spot as part of your five. And I think you can get away with less skilled guys working in tandem than you can trying to use them more like traditional starters, stretching them out over a full six-day sort of rotation. I think also the thing with tandem starting is that you're kind of betting that one of them at some point answers the question for you, right? I think so, yeah. I mean, that's that's something that even came up in, in this piece was that, like, yeah, you're, you are losing something, you know? <laughs> there aren't that many teams that, like, have a sixth guy that's just as good as their top five, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, but there is enough... Uh, sort of give in pitcher projections and a lot of variance in pitcher performance from year to year. So there is a little bit of like, okay, who's got it this year? All right, you're the fifth starter. Congratulations. So there may be some feeling out uh, process on some teams where somebody wins out in the end. Suffice it to say this, though, I I don't think there's going to be that many people that throw 200 innings this, this year coming up. Um... I don't think that any innings projections will be amazing. <laughs> nah, we're, we're all guessing a lot more than usual uh, as a result of what we just saw. And that's what, like, I, I asked a guy who works on this for a team, uh, an analyst that works in this sort of capacity about, like, how they are setting innings limits for next year. And he said, in the past, we didn't know what we're doing. And now we really don't know what we're doing. Because in the past, we would just look at stuff and be like, oh, the industry standard is add 10 to 20%. And if there are no, uh, if there are no red flags on any of his stuff, then we'll just add the 10 to 20%, right? <laughs> we don't know why it's 10 to 20%. That's just what we do. <laughs> and now, well, we can't add 10 to 20%. <laughs> <laughs> that won't be enough. <laughs> we have to get through the season somehow. So we're going to really be uh, flying by the seat of our pants. And if, the, if that's what people are doing in baseball, woo! good luck to us. Good luck to us indeed. Uh, if you're enjoying our show, 
it would really be helpful to us if you could take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review. Thanks to the many of you who have done that. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for $3.99 a month to start at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can reach us on Twitter. He's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. Even though we're not getting to a ton of emails in every episode, keep sending them rates and barrels at theathletic.com. They just keep rolling over to the next outline, and eventually we'll get through them, I promise. So uh, apologies if we've teased your email on multiple episodes and still not answered it. Remember, I had a to-file pile that lasted 10 years. <laughs> yep. Our, our rundown is kind of turning into Eno's old uh, to-file pile. So uh, the memory of that pile lives on in uh, our show sheets for each and every episode. But that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Perils. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.